want to welcome everybody back to the Behind the Well Show. Roger Abel here with Elias Randall. I'd like to say you're a new special guest, but Molly informed us this is our 82nd or 83rd episode, so still happy to have you on the show. I'm still special. I may yeah, not be I, I a guest. I'm basically the co-host at this point. Special, special co-host. No, yeah, you're the co-host. We let you host one show, didn't we? You got to do the introduction, the year-end show last year. That was your 2021 goal. Yeah, I think I, think I did it once. I think you got the last show of the year. Well, Elias, I know we have a good show today because this is um, a question we get quite frequently from people, and it's a really hard question to quantify unless somebody's actually done a financial plan. Um, and everybody wants to know where they are in comparison to to their peers. And the question is, how much should I have saved or what is the average retirement savings by age? And ultimately, ju just like you said, there is a way to plan for this and figure it out. It takes a little more effort than, um, you know, just saying, okay, I'm going to start saving a little bit. It's, I think to me, the best way to answer this question is to work with a financial professional. Maybe it's someone, you know, maybe you've been watching our show. You could reach out to us, but I think that's the best place to start to answer because financial planning. Yeah. In general, are there things that work for people? There are, there's rules of thumbs that work for people, but in general, financial planning is it's unique in the sense that it's more about your relationship with money. How much can you save? Um, how much debt do you have? What's your cash flow like? So there's a lot of things that we can answer and really give people a good answer to you should be contributing this percentage of your paycheck annually, and you should be able to, to hit your goals. Um, so just, you know, I know we, I say this a lot, but there's not like, to me, there's not one answer. There's many answers. It really depends on, on the clients and their situation. What's ironic about this question is people want to know what the average is. And it's a little sad because they're shooting to be average. Yeah. You think about it, hey, what's the average? Why do you want to be average? And average is different to every single person, like you said, because how much you're going to need is mostly dependent on the lifestyle you want to live in retirement. You could have one person who, you know, they need a million dollars, one person who needs five, and one person who needs 500. And it, it's such a moving target that to say, hey, what the what's the average? And then bench myself, benchmark myself against other people. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to do it that way. But we are going to go through what the average retirement savings are for different age classes and take a look at where it is. And the problem with averages is that they're always typically skewed. And, and I'll give you a great example of this, Elias. We have two savers. We have, let's just say they're 40 years old. We have one person who decided when they were 22 years old, they were going to start a business and they tried to run this business for 15 or 20 years. They wake up in their 40 and they're like, whoa, that business didn't work out. I haven't saved any money. So they have $10,000 saved. And then we've got the other person who right out of college, they were an engineer and they went to work at, you know, an engineering company and they've got $800,000 saved. And if we average those two people together, the average is 400. 400 well, yeah. it's not accurate for either person. So that's the first thing I want you to remember about 
averages is there's extremes. And if you decide you're going to use an average to figure out if you're on track for retirement, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. And as we go through these numbers, you're going to start to, to realize that the average amount people have saved is actually fairly low. And if we start to peel the apple back more, how many people have zero saved when they retire? Zero. There's a lot. I think that we saw a stat one time, like the average person has like $25,000 saved. It's not much. So if you take all these people with zero and a whole bunch of people with one or two or three million, you're going to get a pretty low average because most people don't save money. And it's just a function of, you know, it's not the first thing people are taught to do. Averages are really driven by outliers too, right? So that's why, you know, the people with no money are really driving down that average savings rate. I will, uh, for our listeners, I would think anyone listening to our show has, if you're listening to our show, it's about finance and building wealth. Um, you know, you probably have some level of interest. So, you know, the, the average savings really shouldn't be relevant to you. And I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine the other day, and he's done a good job saving. He's got some extra cash and he's worried about inflation. And he asked my thoughts on buying some real estate or saving more money. And I just kind of, one thing I talk about in general, building wealth to me, it's because when you look at like, especially our clients, people that have a lot of money that they have some things in common, typically, like they have a good stock portfolio with a lot of money in it. They probably own some real estate. People who are very wealthy typically have those two things and they own their own business. So I think for people listening, um, that's kind of like, to me, it's kind of simple. There's only so many ways to build your wealth, right? And if you're uh, going to work for other people, well, you're going to have to save money and maybe own a house, maybe own a rental property at some point. Um, but, you know, you're, you're going to see the average savings is pretty low. Um, but hopefully you're watching the show because you don't want to be average. Hopefully you're watching because you want to build up uh, to the point where you're independently wealthy or marginally wealthy, however you want to look at it. When the thing I want everybody to remember is how much you have saved at a certain age, probably, I mean, it's relevant to an extent because you're getting time value money working for you. But what people primarily should be focused on is what is your savings rate? Yeah, the contribution rate, contribution rate the... matters more than how much you have saved. But let's just start with people in their 20s. And these statistics are from the Federal Reserve Survey of Consumer Confidence data. Average retirement savings. So the key is here retirement because because there's a distinction for people between our savings and our retirement, or at least there should be. Savings for emergencies, short-term type money. Retirement is, hey, we're not going to touch this until we need to start living on it. But people 18 to 24 have an average of $4,700 saved. And people 25 to 29, it's about 9,400. For people 18 to 24, at least they have something going. I think this is the good news for people here. Nobody expects a 22-year-old to have anything saved. You're just maybe getting out of college or just been in a job a few years, kind of getting your footing out there. I know I didn't have anything saved until I was 23 because um, I was still in college and doing all, all those things. 
but it doesn't really matter at this stage. At the stage of 20, it's all about how do I get in 10 to 15% of my income going into these accounts so they grow and we get the the wonderful world of compound interest to to help affect our investments. You know, when I started in the investment business, I started at uh, Transamerica and I remember one of the charts they gave us was always investor A and investor B. And it was investor A starts when they're 20 and puts in X amount of dollars. Investor B waits until they're 30 and starts putting in the same, but investor B puts the money in for 20 or 30 years. And investor A only does it for 10 years. And in the end, investor A always had more money and they invested in the same thing. Maybe Molly can pull the chart. I'll see if I can find her to dig it out. But it's amazing that that person who only puts money in for 10 years can actually beat a person who's done it for 20 or 30 strictly because the time value of money and the compound of interest. And that also highlights one of my favorite talking points and talking to people about the markets. Your time in the market is the the number one metric of success. And that's a good, that's a good example of that. How you start at 20, save till 30 and stop. Someone starts at 30, they save for um, 20 years after that. And you still have, still have more money. Um, but for me, people in their twenties, I'm not really so concerned about how much you have. I'm on the same page with you there. When you're just getting started in your career, my number one thing for people just getting started is exactly that. Get started saving. Do the 401k at work, start a Roth IRA, get started where you can. If it's 50 bucks a month, great. It's 50 bucks a month. Increase it every three or four months or every time you get a raise, increase it a little bit. And eventually you'll get to a 10 or 15% savings rate that over the long term, you can build something meaningful for yourself. If you think about the easiest financial thing for anybody who has an employer-sponsored plan, so a 401k, a simple IRA, any type of retirement plan at work, it's literally to just start doing a payroll deduct from your account into that 401k. That's literally step one. It's the easiest thing to do. You probably can go online, hit sign up, and they start doing it immediately. And Jonas in our office, showed me a book. This must've been like six or seven years ago. And you've heard him talk about it. It's called save more tomorrow. And the whole idea is how do you get a person who hasn't saved anything to get to a 10 or a 15% contribution rate into their investments. And the easiest way to get enrolled in the employer plan and then have an automatic increase in percentage each year. So let's say you tell me, well, I've never saved anything. I'm basically spending all my paycheck, but I can afford to put in 3% into my 401k. Great. We start at 3%. In each year, you add 1% more. So the next year you're at four. And the interesting thing about that for most people, most people are getting a pay raise of one or two or 3%. Could be more. But if you increase your contribution 1% and you got a pay raise of three, you still had a 2% pay raise, but you also gave yourself a raise in your contribution amount. So that's literally the easiest thing that somebody can control regardless of age if they're not doing anything regarding their savings. And that's a, that's a win-win, right? The automatic escalation. Your retirement gets a little more money. You get a little more money. It's a win-win for everybody. So 
in your 30s, the average for people saved in their 30s, 30 to 34 is just a little over 21,000 and 35 to 39 is about $48,000. So how much should somebody in their 30s have saved? Because you know, I look at this and look at 48,000 and I know for a fact you know, from doing financial plans, if you're 39 years old and you have 48,000 saved, you're not on track. To live right. the retirement You're behind at that point. If yeah. you go look at the average wage of an employee at thirty eight years old, let's say, they'd have to have way more than forty eight thousand to replace that income. The good news is if you're in the thirties, you still have a lot of time. Yeah, so this would be for someone who has like close to this average amount saved at these ages, I it's a little bit of the same. You need to really focus on the contribution rate because you do still have time to save money, you're might gonna, probably going to have to sacrifice more in the short term. Um, but how much should someone be saving? At this point, when, when you're getting close to 40, I feel like if you've exercised some good ha money habits and taught yourself, I think if you're getting to the point where you're putting like 15% away, I think that's really good at that point. So, um, so how much should you be saving in your thirties? I think you should really work to get to 15 to 20% of your income. And the other thing, another goal I like to talk about people in their younger thirties. So like the 30 to 34, um, maybe start tracking your net worth too. And if you can get by 30, if your net worth can be even most people, most of us, we start out in the hole because we have student loans or whatever to get going. But if you can get to even or close to even at 30 and then start getting a positive net worth at that point um, and you have a good contribution rate, you're really going to see some very positive effects beyond, you know, 35, 40, 45 years old, especially when your wealth starts to, um, to compound and all that. So then we move on to people in their 40s. And this is the age when I feel like people start to really think about retirement. They wake up one day and they're 45 and I'm like, oh my gosh, in 15 years, I'm going to be 60, 20 years, I'm going to be 65. And you're like, man, I'm 45. I've been working 20 years already. I mean, because it goes pretty fast. And as you'll realize, Elias, the older you get, the faster life seems to move. My wife and I talk about this in high school. Think back to high school, your senior year it took forever to get through that last year of school. Like you're like, man, when is my summer going to be here? And now you wake up and we're already through the first quarter of 2022 and it'll be the end of the year. And we'll be doing the end of the year, you know, Christmas shopping show or tax planning show again. And this is when I think people start to get really serious about it. And what we provide for people is that one page financial plan. And this is probably the most critical thing people can do at age 40 is sit down and not worry about what the averages have done. Figure out what you need to do over the next 15, 20 or 25 years to make sure that you have the retirement that you want to have. I know my wife and I go through this exercise like once a month because she wants to retire at one age, but I know that's not realistic because I plan on working longer than that. Um, but we run through these scenarios and try to figure out where we're going to be and what we need to do. And what happens is when you're in your 40s, most people, this is when their income starts to go up to. And it's really hard to say, well, should I save more? Or should I have more lifestyle? 
really easy to have more lifestyle because there's reward. Well, I got that new house. I got that new car. Well, if you save the $10,000, great. My account went up 10,000, but there's no intrinsic reward today for saving. It's just not exciting. And the other thing at 40, let's say here, the average person who's 45 to 49, that's $150,000 saved, right? And, and that that's clearly not on track, but they look at their account. If they have 150,000, the stock market went up 10% and it went up $15,000. And there's almost like this feeling of defeat, like how in the world am I ever going to get to a million or $2 million to have the retirement that I want to live? Let, let's say your, your salary is $70,000. How much are you going to need to get 70,000 a year? You're probably going to need a million four to a million six to generate a sustainable withdrawal to get that. So if you're waking up at 45 with 150,000, you're like, how am I going to get there? it's a lot easier to take the route of, well, I'll take the new house because I heard that buying a house is a good investment, which arguably today the values are up, but it's not really an investment for people unless they're going to sell their house and buy something cheaper, which best of luck because all homes are up. You're just trading for a more expensive house. So I see this disconnect with people or they're like, Hey, I want to, my income's up. I'd rather take the joy today than the pain for the next 15 or 20 years. And on the right. So at that point, it's just a matter of you just have to start saving the money. You got to do the hard work now for people who, cause we meet with a lot of, we do meet with a lot of people in this age range and people that have done a good job saving and they're building their wealth and they're doing all the right things. I think it's still very important for uh, those potential clients to meet with a professional because it's at that point, it's the fine tuning of the plan. Right. And then the other thing sometimes, and I'm, this is not a recommendation, but sometimes people that they've done really well and they, their accounts are very high in their mid forties, they start to become too conservative in their investments, which is understandable, right? Because now all of a sudden you have all this money that you maybe didn't realize you could have someday. And I don't, I feel like at that point, it's really time to kind of keep the accelerator pressed to the floor. Don't really like, don't get too conservative with your money just because you have a lot at that point. Um, so that's just in general, some things I see, that's not a recommendation on anyone to go out and, you know, make any changes to your portfolio, but I just think, a thought. I think this age right here is critical for somebody to sit down with an advisor and figure out where they are for two reasons. One, if you don't do it, you run the risk of not being able to catch up. You still have time. If you're 40 years old or 45, you have time to make appropriate lifestyle changes and contribution habits to get on track. So if you, if someone said, hey, what's the time that someone 100% needs to sit down and do some type of a financial plan? I'd say it's between 40 and 45. It's critical because if you do one in your thirties, eh, it's good to like have an idea of where you are. It's really about, Hey, what's the contribution rate? Just getting people going. But at 40 and 45, for some people, they tell me they want to retire at 60. That's only 15 years. You've got to get it figured out in two different ways. One, am I going to be able to achieve my goal? And 15 years out, you can kind of project that when you're 25 or 30 years out, it's really hard to project. 
But two, if I can't hit my goal, how do I need to adjust my lifestyle now? Because if somebody comes in, comes in and meets with us, Elias, and they're 62 years old and says, and they tell us they want to retire in three years, we can help them with really two things. Well, we can help them with their distribution strategy and we can help them give them, give them confidence whether retirement will work or not. But if they're not on track, like if they haven't done the hard work and saved enough money and they tell me they want to spend 8,000 a month and the computer software says, well, yeah, really you could spend like 5,500. There's no way to fix that other than lifestyle. And for most people to you know, change your lifestyle from spending 8,000 to 5,500 for most people, it's drastic. It, it is. And that, um, and just like we always tell people at that, you know, at that point, you're either there or you're not, right? When you're in your 60s, you're either on the three-yard line or you're not even close. Um, so to go back to what we were talking about, so people in their mid-40s, that's a great time to get a plan. And an idea I just want to bring up is if you're like if you're 45 and you've done a really good job and you have money, but you've never really taken the time to educate yourself on the financial markets and the capital markets, um, why would you start doing it now when you could just delegate that part of your life like everything else? People delegate the work on their car. They delegate when their furnace goes out. So I feel like there's a there's a lot of value an advisor can add to the last 15 or 20 years um, of someone's career to really make sure, you know, they get to that point where they're 60 and they know, yeah, I can make this work. This is going to work for me. And if anybody out there listening wants to get a plan, we have our one page financial plan that we do for people. Um, it's been will, really very well received. You can go to btwellshow.com, click get started. We'll get you in contact with an advisor who can help you make sure you're on the right track. So Elias, let's move into the 50s. And the average person 50 to 54 has 146,000 saved and 55 to 59 is 250,000. Um, at this time in their life, the average American's earning anywhere between 75 and 80,000 per year. Yeah, that's sorry. I, I, it just, no, I'm just, I, I dropped my jaw a little bit because if you're 55 and you have 249,000 saved and you're making 80,000, you're never going to come close to replacing your income. I mean, you're yeah. not even close to being on track. Realistically, um, according to this, this you should really have more like four hundred and fifty thousand saved at that time. Yes, that that sounds probably more that you would be a lot more on track at that point. But it doesn't mean there's things you can't do. But at this point, someone at this age and not having very much time to invest. I actually might lean more towards, well, you got to really figure out how to get your debt paid off because if you have no debt, you can probably make ends meet off your social security check and then the small amount of money that you do have saved. Well, basically goes to lifestyle, right? Like, yeah, you're going to have to make you're, some lifestyle you're, you're changes. You're saying pay off debt, but you're really saying, hey, you're probably going to have to make lifestyle changes. If you're making 80,000, your wife's making 60,000, so you have 140,000, you have 250 saved that won't be sustainable in retirement. You better start thinking now about right. how to have some lifestyle changes. The good news is though, if you're over 50, 
there are catch-up provisions in the tax code in your 401k and your IRA Roth IRA contributions to help you get back on track. If you need more help on that, we're, we're happy to help you with that. And then you move into your 60s. And this is really crunch time. I mean, realistically, when you're 60, like you said, you're either getting ready to punch in the touchdown or you're going to have to figure out how to scale the lifestyle back. And uh, the average savings for someone in there, that's 65 to 69, is 206000 and 60 to 64 is 221000 So think about that. People who are 65 to 69 have less, less saved than people who are 60 to 64. Probably taking distributions yeah. would probably be the why, it, right? It made me think about it a little bit. And once again, you talked about outliers. Well, there's your outlier. You have a person who's 69 years old. They may have been taking distributions to help pull down the average amount that they have in those retirement spending. But I think the good news is uh, the government is trying to help retirees save more money. And actually there's a retirement bill, it's called the Securing a Strong Retirement Act. It was passed by the US House, this passed a week or two ago. In fact, it passed when we were on air live uh, on WMT. But it does a couple key things to help people enhance their retirement or save more for retirement. And I, I think um, the things I've read, and I'm a fan of this bill, I think this is going to be helpful. And the other thing that shocked me was uh, it passed the House of Representatives by a vote of 415 to 5. So this is one topic everyone can agree on. Well, I'm trying which to figure is, out which is odd in today's well, society. This is what I'm always curious. What 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 was in this that the five people didn't like? That's I, what I was wondering too. I mean, maybe they just are like, I'm not voting. We're getting off track, but I always get a kick out of this. The five people, what's in this that you don't like? Because there's really nothing in here that's bad. The first thing they did is they're gonna expand automatic enrollment into 401k and 403b plans. So if you don't know what automatic enrollment is, when you go to a new job, they will automatically enroll the employee with a contribution, um, 3% to 10% of their pay. What I like about this is the contribution would increase one percentage point each year until it reaches 10%. Now, the worker can opt out. They don't have to do anything, but they automatically enroll them. This is why this is key. Most people, if they don't ever get the money, they never feel the pain of saving because this is just what I get paid. You know, it's like if you're getting paid 10,000 a month from a job and you know you're getting paid 10,000 a month and then you get 9,000, you feel that. But if day one, you just got 9,000 because everything was taken out, you've always just been getting paid $9,000. Very few people go to their paycheck stub and say, well, they took out X for federal tax and X for FICA and social security, and they took this amount out for disability and this amount for life insurance. They just look at what got deposited in their bank account. Yeah, the, you're right. At the end of the day, this is what I, this is my deposit. This is what I have to live on. And I, I think this is a great, this is a great idea. You automatically get enrolled. You can opt out. But I think we know enough about kind of financial behavior and just kind of and how people act with money. If they're automatically enrolled and it only goes up 1% a year, it's just never going to be painful. So if it's never going to be painful, then it should be successful and you should be able to do it. Think about this. Okay, we're going to use the same example. You're getting paid 9000 a month. 
and your contribution automatically goes up on percent. So you're thinking human nature would say, well, yeah, my paycheck's going to go down, right? No. As long as your company gives you a cost of living adjustment or some type of a raise, your paycheck's still going to go up and your contribution savings rate went up too. So this is a win-win. Yeah. The second one, I'm really happy that they're doing, but they're going to raise, or it's proposed that they're going to raise the age for mandatory withdrawals. So just to go back in a little history of this, this is referred to as required minimum distributions. If you have a 401k plan or a traditional IRA, 403b, anything basically except a Roth IRA, you are required at some point to take a distribution from this plan. It used to be age 70 and a half, got changed to 72. This bill now will push it out to age 75, starting in 2033, 74 in 2030, and 73 on January 1st of 2023. I jokingly tell people that, you know, if you take your required minimum distribution every year, and all let's say all of your money's in your 401k plan, you just left it at your employer, and you take your required minimum distribution each year, just like the government says you should, or mandates that you have to, at some point you'll run out of money. And people always say, well, how is that? They don't understand that the longer or older you get, the amount that you're required to take out, the percentage gets higher. The IRS and the government isn't tell, they're not telling people to go spend the required, dis, required minimum distribution. And I run into this all the time. Well. I'll just take my required minimum distribution. That's what I'll spend. At some point, that's going to be eight, nine, 10% of your account value. You're going to go broke. The IRS only cares that you take it. So a really good strategy for people here is to have a distribution plan where you take this money. That's a required distribution. You cross the tax line and just reinvest the money or keep it in the same investment and just pay the tax on the dollars. Because otherwise, if you spend it, you're going to run out. You will. And this is, I feel like this is also almost very, very necessary change. People spend a lot of money as they get older on their health care. And I think to me, this is kind of signaling. This is a kind of a byproduct of that. As the government knows, people are going to need money in their retirement accounts to help pay their health care bills once they get closer to the end of their life. And 75 and older. So I, I think this is a good change. This will help people have more money older in their life. Um, but that that's another good point that you made was if you don't need to spend it, you can just keep that money invested and, and it's not going to be in your IRA, right? It's going to be in a different account, a non-retirement account, but you still have the opportunity to do that. And it should be something to consider. Well, remember the required minimum distribution, no way benefits the saver. It only benefits the federal government to get the tax dollars. That's why they're making you take this out. Yeah, tax the collection. There you go. The fourth, uh, the fourth new proposed change in this bill is increase the catch-up contribution limits for some employees. So they want to basically once you're over age, uh, this would be for people 60 to six, 62 to 64 who have workplace retirement plans raising their catch-up contribution limit for most workplace retirement plans. That's a good thing if we're allowing people to contribute more. Um, and the other one that I think for people, this is a really good one because people are going to get messed up on this required minimum distribution 
change that's happening. The IRS is reducing the RMD penalties if you fail to take your distribution. So the penalty used to be 50%. They're now reducing that to 25%. So what that means, if you were supposed to take a $10,000 distribution, under past tax code, you miss the distribution, you still have to take the 10,000 and pay tax, plus pay a 50% penalty. So pay another 5,000 penalty. Stiff penalty. The penalty is now 25%, but they further soften the penalty to 10 by quickly correcting the stake and withdrawing the full required amount. So it's like, it's not a get out of jail free card, but it's get out of jail for less. So I think there's been some really good changes that have been proposed or any other kind of changes that stick out in your mind, Elias, I think that covers most of them. But I, th I think all of this bill is designed to help people save more and retain more of what they have. If someone out there is listening to the show and they don't know if they're on the right track for retirement or they they want to know what they should be saving, you can go to btwellshow.com, click get started. We'll get you in contact with one of our advisors. And so one last thing, you know, we talked about this bill and what's all been passed in the House. It still has to go through the Senate. So it's not, you know, in effect yet. But I think the good news is you raised the point that it passed the House with a vast majority. So hopefully it gets through the Senate with the same vigor that it did the House. And we, we get to see these changes for people, but we should be aware of what's going on. And individuals should be aware of what's going on because a lot of these are going to affect people. So with that said, I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. If you need any help, you can go to btwellshow.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.